We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. In this portion, the Lord Jesus, it says, came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Just note again that this is a command given by the sovereign of the universe. This is not me. This is not you. This is not the devil. This is not an angel. This is Jesus who has been given all authority. That is the foundation of his great commission. And then uh, on top of that authority, he gives the assignment of the great commission. It's a four-part assignment. It's to go, to make disciples, it's to baptize them. We've looked at all of that. And now to teach them, it says, to observe all things that I have commanded you. So we come to the last part of the assignment. And the assignment is simply teaching. Teaching them to observe all things that Jesus commanded to the disciples. The fourth step or part of the Great Commission given by the all-sovereign Christ, is to train disciples. Now, uh, let me just comment on that word that I've just used there, to teach, because it has different meanings, perhaps even different meanings to different readers of the text. Uh, It includes, if you just look it up in the dictionary, the Greek dictionary, it, it includes telling someone what to do. Uh, to instruct them. And that instruction can be in a formal or in an informal setting. Um, So I'll come to a little bit of that setting in a moment. But I would add to that definition, it does not only tell us what to do, but how to do it. (laughs) Okay? Um, It Uh, tells us what resources we have to accomplish whatever it is that we've been taught or are being taught to do. Um, And it also, importantly, this teaching that the Lord is talking about has to include not just uh, what to do, but also what to know. What to know. You, You know, there's certain things you don't do anything about, but you need to be taught about them. For instance justification. You don't do anything to get justified. But you certainly are benefited by knowing about it, aren't you? By being taught about it. You don't do anything to receive the presence of God's Spirit or to be Spirit-baptized into the church, except, of course, trusting in the Lord. But He does the work of those wonderful things. So 
We do not teach a person to do something in order to get their sins forgiven or to have the power of sin broken, but it is crucial that every Christian know how sins can be forgiven and they know the power of sin is broken, uh, that 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 ruling nature of authority of, of the sin has been deposed so that we can truly reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin or consider ourselves that way. And here's my point. A lack of knowledge about those things is severely detrimental to your spiritual life. So it's, teaching is not just about doing, but it's not, it's not about not doing. <laughs> it's, it's both. It's, you've got to teach folks doctrine so that they know the truth. That's what this teaching has to include. Um, am, I, am, I, uh, am I connecting? Got it? Okay, good. So this is, this is important. Somebody might say, well, what's the importance of knowing what God has done this or he's created back here or whatever? That's irrelevant to me. Just tell me what about you know, today and uh, thir- Thursday morning and, and Friday and the weekend and then Monday and so on. I, I just need to know what to do. You can't know what to do properly without knowing all that background information. Like why? Like any good two-year-old, you're going to ask the question, Why? Why do I do this? Why do I do that? You know, um, because the scriptures explain things, and we need we need to be taught those things. We need to be taught what God is like. We need to be taught what Jesus is like. For when you know Jesus, then you're transformed into His likeness. But if you don't know Him, you're not transformed in His likeness. You're you're left in your own likeness, which is uh, in in a, in a, in a strange way, spiritually kind of a ghoulish likeness when it's just yourself and your own darkness. Now, talk about the style of education here, the style of teaching. Because of the pervasiveness of classroom style education in the world, it is natural to immediately for us to equate teaching with classroom style education. And some have even said uh, like a church like ours is a classroom church. That was more classically true when Pastor Sachs was here. You remember him with the overhead projector and writing on that thing and showing it up on the on the board? I mean, it's just like an old-style classroom teaching like that. And that's because we place uh, emphasis on God's Word and on the teaching, the content, the information of it, because we trust that in the Word of God is the transforming power of the knowledge of God that he's placed in there. Um, and yes, a good bit of the meaning of teach can be implemented in this kind of educational context. In that context, we have a teacher who generally is trained in the Bible. We have a teacher who has specifically uh, studied a portion of Scripture. So generally, he has a background. And specifically, he knows, you know, like Matthew 28, 18 through 20, talking about this passage tonight kind of knows that area that he's teaching or training on. Uh, He knows what he's talking about, and he's prepared a lesson on that. And we call this the normal means that are used to do uh, the, the teaching of God's Word. And those means are specific preparation, this passage, say, and general preparation, all the background knowledge that somebody attains uh, in studying the Scripture, and it takes effort. It's not done by osmosis. It takes hard work, study, often in a classroom setting in a Bible college or in a seminary too. 
That's how we accelerate our learning along. That's a good, a good way to think of it. It's a good way to efficiently pass information and to evaluate somebody's grasp of that um, information. So that's all well and good, but teaching in the way the Lord implemented it is not only classroom-type instruction. Did the Lord teach in a classroom? Well, he didn't, not certainly with a whiteboard or a chalkboard, but I thought about it and I said, you know, actually, if you think about the Sermon on the Mount or when he fed 5,000, remember 4,000 as well, they were all around and he was teaching them, sometimes for hours in one case or, or days in some, one of the other cases. He, you know, he said, they've been with me for, what, three days now. They're going to faint on the way going home. We need to feed them. And so obviously there was a passing of information that was going from him to them. Now we might also, and I didn't put this in my notes, we might also consider the methods that he used in his teaching. Even if it was a kind of outdoor classroom setting, we'll call it. Um, you know, he taught with parables often, you know, stories. Uh, you know, the parable of the sower and the seed, the, par- the sto- and, and the story or parable, if you will, of uh, the rich man and Lazarus, which reflects a real uh, situation or many, maybe many real situations. So he didn't have a classroom per se, and did, but did talk to people in his discourses, Sermon on the Mount, for example. So that's like a classroom. But a lot of the Gospels focus on another form of the teaching. Much of the content of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John focus on another way in which the Lord taught. And that's what I'll call an apprenticeship model, a vocational ed model, a uh, mentorship model, a job shadowing model. Okay, It wasn't just, I give you information, you regurgitate it back on a test, and then I give you an A and everybody's happy. No, it was real life living uh, kind of teaching that the Lord did. It was practical instruction like you would get in a program for nursing or as an electrician or a mechanic or um, practical experiences built into many educational um, programs in many fields. You know, the practicum, the capstone project, the, you know, whatever, these sorts of things that people do. For the disciples, it was even more than that, though. It was living together, traveling together, ministering together, serving God together, sometimes suffering together, walking away from persecution together. Uh, In this way, the disciples could see and absorb what the Lord was doing and make it part of their lives. Can you imagine if you had to spend, could spend three years with the Lord, what you would absorb? I mean, the kind of, uh, what's the word? Slim teaching that you get from a church, even like this church, a few times a week, as opposed to living with the Lord day in and day out, on the boats, walking, traveling, teaching, seeing Him cast out demons, all kinds of things. Can you imagine how much you'd absorb? Have you ever had a a relationship like that with somebody that you can sit and talk to, you can uh, learn from, you watch them, you know, the the master uh, electrician or, you know, watch my dad doing his mechanic work. And you're just like, how does he know how that all works? You know, I mean, I, so if you're kind of, you know, 
sort of halfway mechanically inclined, you can start to pick it up, but he just knows it like, he, he says, well, I don't know what's wrong with this thing. And, you know, he's got it going before you know it. It's like he doesn't even know how he knows what he's doing, you know. Uh, it's just so natural to him. Well, imagine that with the disciples. They just see the Lord and say, how does he interact with these people? I mean, this lady from Phoenicia is coming after him over and over, and, and they're, they're trying to say, can we send her away? She's annoying us, you know. And uh, the Lord has, has a better way of, of handling that situation. Or he goes into a, a Pharisee's home or he's in a place where there's sinners and tax collectors and just amazing uh, the way that he has to work with sinners. And they built that into their lives, just absorbed it. And then they could live that same way. And, and uh, the others who followed them could, as they followed Christ, learn how to do that. And it's the Apostle Paul said, you know, imitate me as... I imitate Christ, so the chain continues on down the line. To me, this is a much harder way to teach, this um, you know, practical way of teaching, but it's nevertheless necessary. I say it's harder because it is, for some of us, easier to do something than to show someone else how to do it. But then... It's also harder because it's just simply hard to do something. If you're saying to people, um, you know, you need to live and be like the Lord Jesus, and you're finding it hard for yourself to do that, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Um, it's easier to speak and let, that, let the audience apply the truth to themselves and not have to be exactly the best model of that truth, although I'm not making excuses for myself or anybody else who teaches. It's just hard. Not too hard for Jesus, though, because he was perfect. (laughs) Oh, just think. Not a wrong word or a wrong thought ever. Can you imagine that? Someday you will. (laughs) Not now. Now, one idea that comes to mind from this is that if we don't regularly gather together, both as a corporate body and in smaller groups like in our homes for hospitality, or just doing things together, then we cannot accomplish this sort of discipleship teaching. I I use Jansen as an illustration. If he and I spend zero time together speaking about, you know, how to interpret this certain passage of the Bible or what administrative issues need to be done, or no, we don't spend any time planning, we don't visit people together, we don't pray together, we would not be accomplishing you know, this kind of training. It just wouldn't happen. If you don't spend any time with anybody, how are you going to have them rub off on you, or you, them, you on them, or whatever, you get the point. You can't do that. Uh, it does, it does not, doesn't happen. So you have to be together for this. I don't know if I can communicate this. Am I explaining it? It's like, it's a, it's a, powerful, a powerful thing. I mean, one, and it's kind of strange because there's an individual aspect of teaching and a corporate aspect of teaching. And sometimes they're, they're both useful. But you can sit with somebody for a half an hour and get more accomplished than you might in a year of preaching if you can just help them to whatever the issue is that they're working through. 
I think, and I'll come back to that in just a moment, I think we should maybe read this as in verse 20. You see where it says, teaching them to observe all things? I think we might better use the word training them to observe all things. Now, I understand the Greek. It's the verb didasko. It's the verb we say to teach. But what kind of teaching is it? It's not just informational passing, you know, information passing from one person to another. It's actually a training program. It's making disciples, baptizing them, and training them to keep everything Jesus said that I have commanded to you. Now, back to this corporate individual aspect. One-on-one training has, for some reason, in many cases, seems to have more impact on the life of the student. Stop to think about that for a minute. When I'm preaching to a group of assembled Christians, it provides a venue where I can speak generally on any topic. And it's in a way, it's easier on some of the hardest topics to talk to a whole group of people than it is to sit down across the table with one person and say, listen, brother, on this topic, on this sensitive, you know, hard-to-talk-about topic, we've got a problem. Whereas if you can just talk about it generally, nobody gets offended, you know. Nobody learns anything either. You know what I'm saying? It, it can kind of like go right over their head. It's like, he couldn't be talking about me because I'm good, <laughs> you know. Well, maybe he is talking about you. Maybe the Spirit of God is wanting to apply that to you, but, you, you know, you, you're, you're not applying. Um, you know, so I teach, you have to take the teaching and apply it, and that teaching and ap- or that application and learning may not happen. It may go right over your head. But if I sit down with you in your home or in my office, especially because if, if it's the case that you want to be there and I want to be there, it's a totally different ballgame. Now, the worst is when I want, <laughs> the worst is when it's a hard topic and I know it needs to be dealt with and you don't want to deal with it. Or you don't want to deal with it and frankly, I don't want to have to deal with it either. I'd rather be home, you know, with my feet up on the lazy boy chair watching the fireplace go or whatever. Much easier. Um, but, you know, and that's. It's a more confrontational kind of approach to things, and people don't like that. Okay, so that's teaching. That's really training. But the Lord gives them the content of what we're supposed to be teaching in the Great Commission, and that is teaching or training them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, to observe, I've always had a trouble with this word as, as whenever I've really kind of paid attention to the Great Commission. Observe. What does observe mean? I think we know what it means, but the translation observe from the verb tereo has kind of overtaken the whole English language uh, translation f- efforts in the Bible. I, I think the best way I can express what it means in using that root is to say, it means train them to be observant. You know what an observant Jew is? An observant Catholic? That means they, they do what Catholics do or they do what Jewish people do. An observant Christian, a person who does what they're supposed to do. Really what it means is to persist in obedience, to persist in obedience and refers to fulfilling the instructions of the Lord, giving careful heed to them. 
So most English translations following the King James have said, teaching them to observe. It conveys the, the meaning that the Lord has, to be observant, as in to be an observant Christian, is the sense. The um, newer Bible out these days called the Legacy Standard Bible has this rendering. It says, teaching them to keep. Teaching them to keep. And the NIV, all of you NIV fans out there, you'll rejoice, wins the day on this one. It says, teaching them to obey. It's the only translation, major translation. What do you call those, the heavy hitters? (laughs) It's the only big English translation that uh, uses the teaching them to obey uh, in its translation. And I give it a thumbs up for that. That is exactly correct, teaching them to obey. That's the clearest and reflects what I understand to be the Lord's intended meaning here in the original, to obey, not just to look at, teach them to observe, not not just to look at, to obey. So teach them, train them to obey all things that I have commanded you. Here's really the core of the content. The obeying is to be carried out with respect to all things that the Lord taught and commanded. The original text is something like this. Have them keep all whatever I have commanded you. It uses two words, panta, all, and hasa, meaning like as much as or as many as. or just It's a two-word phrase to mean everything. Whatever I've told you, all the different things, you pass on to them. It's comprehensive in scope, and it is thorough in depth. Let me say it again. It's comprehensive in scope, and it's thorough in depth. Okay? It's, it's thorough, comprehensive, total, complete. Teach them everything. Now, you thought I've talked on a long time about this already, 20 some minutes, but I haven't even started yet. (laughs) Well, uh, for this message, I've almost completed actually, but teach them, train them to keep all things that I have commanded you. Now, what is it that the Lord commanded them? Have you ever stopped to think or endeavored to go on to this project? I'm going to summarize the whole gospel of Matthew to give everything that the Lord taught to his disciples to kind of write a summation of it. Have you ever thought to do that? That's what the Lord is saying. Everything that I've given to you, and and you can say, wow, that's a lot. And the disciples could say, I'm never going to remember all of it. But the Lord promises in John's gospel, I'm going to send the Spirit. When I go up, he's going to come down, and he's going to bring to what? Your remembrance, what I have told you. And then they're going to be able to propagate that to their followers as well. Now, I think the remainder of the New Testament teaching does that plus. It adds more information to what the Lord taught the disciples. But I think it would be neat to spend some time creating a summation of the Lord's teaching. You know, kind of pull the principles out and just put them on a piece of paper and say, here's what the Lord taught just to see if we could grasp it better. Somebody have a, a, just thinking now off the top of your head, think of the Gospels. What did the, what's one thing the Lord taught us? 
in the Gospels. Yes, sir. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. There's a reiteration of one key part of the law of Moses, which is really the law of God. It's a, a, a timeless expression of what God wants us to do. Love your neighbor as yourself and love God above all else. Most of us chuck the neighbor and forget about, not most of us, but many of us, many humans, I'll say, chuck the neighbor Forget about God, love yourself first, and then maybe you'll throw the neighbor in there too, just to be a good guy. Um, what's another one? I thought of one, um, t- the Lord teaches us about humility. The one who exalts himself will be abased, and the one who abases himself will be exalted. The Lord teaches us about loving service. I've washed your feet, so you should do that for each other. I've given you an example The Lord taught us about ultimate sacrifice. He said, uh, I've not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. What's another one? Somebody else? Uh -uh. Uh, Teach us how to pray. Wow. That's what we're here for tonight. That's a good one. Teach us how to pray. What else? Teach us about the kingdom of God. Teach us to repent in in light of the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, teach us that we need to be born again if we're to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, man, you can pray the kingdom of God will come. Wow. There's a lot of theology here. And we've only just spent 60 seconds or two minutes. There's got to be way, 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 way more. And this is the excitement of thinking about this. Teach them everything. We also need to expand on this finally tonight in terms of practical examples. Um, Again, this is going back to the kind of teaching method. I can teach in a classroom. I'm comfortable in that setting. I know what to do. But if you were to say, you know, here are 11 or 12 young men. You're going to live with them for the next three years. Train them to live as Christians and to minister the gospel. What would... Where would I start? What would I do? I mean, I guess you could just have to start, you know, get up in the morning and make breakfast for, for starters. <laughs> but, and, and, and do so without, what, complaining and disputing and, uh, you know, teach them how to live in a way that's honoring to the Lord. Wow, when you think about that, that just blows your mind. How do you do that in your family? Parents, you've been given three or four or two, or two little people in your home, and you're to train them to know God and live for Him, one, and a spouse. (laughs) Wow, there you go. You've got your little followers there. So time to get busy doing the Great Commission and not just teaching in a classroom, but working it out practically. I don't know. Just uh, It's a lot. It's kind of overwhelming in a way, isn't it? Just a few verses. You've read them a hundred times or more, and yet they're rich. We're not done yet because we have to look at the uh, not only the foundation of the Great Commission and the assignment, but we have to look at the assurance of it and the resources available to do it. So that yet remains. I can't even remember now. What part am I on here? One, two, three. This is part five. So we have a couple more to go. What's that? Nobody has notes yet except for me. And in fact, some of my notes aren't even notes. (laughs) 
they're coming. They're coming. I'll, pu- I'll publish them, but uh, they've been in such a sorry state at the end because I'm building up towards the end that I, I don't want to put them all out uh, in a half-done, half-baked state. So let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us through this passage tonight. Help us to put it to practice, not just to talk about it. Oh, it's a bit of a burden on my heart to think that here we are, uh, most of us here tonight, um, well, I should say the adults here tonight, we're in that phase of life when we're, we are the ones that are supposed to be doing this to the young people and to our neighbors and fa- other family members that don't know the Lord and those who do to train them up. Um, there's nobody else that we can look to to say, hey, uh, why don't you do that? It's, uh, we're looking at ourselves. So as they did when they were looking for food during the famine in Jacob's day, Jacob said, why do you sit around looking at each other? <laughs> Go do something about it. I pray that you'd help us to do something about it. Lord, bless those people who have only been able to watch tonight. Lord, if any of us here or there have any sin, any iniquity, convict us of that, Lord, cause us to doubt, cause us to come to a place where we want to repent and we want to confess our sin and we want to make it right. Oh God, watch over our hearts. Keep us on the straight and narrow path. And I pray for those here whom I can see that you would bless and keep them and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Amen.